This is Deep Blue, where we get the true life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. Today's show, we talk with a dude who was in the same NBA draft class as LeBron James, who almost played in the Olympics for Russia, who has overcome death in his family, a torn Achilles, a herniated disc, but who has played all over the world, had the nickname Elder 8 Mile, who was 44-1 in the Marriott Center as a Cougar, and who has done some amazing nonprofit work around the globe. He's one of my favorite people ever, and he's a fellow Mapletonian. He is Travis Hansen. What's up, Travis? What's up, Jaron? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. There's a lot to digest there. I tried to summarize your life in like a paragraph. Uh, there's I, a lot to discuss. I like the injuries. That was as <laughs> <laughs> part of my bio. You've overcome a ton, dude. Oh, okay, so do you you go to uh, Mountain View in Orm? Do you grow up in Utah County in Orm? Yeah, dad's from Idaho, uh, Boise, farmer, alfalfa. Alfalfa? Alfalfa. Nice. Uh, mom's from Richland, Washington, Tri-City area. They met at Rick's. He played football. He decided to come to BYU and get an accounting degree. And thus we grew up in Orem and I attended Mountain View High School. I was at Mountain View recently. My daughter had a karate tournament. You and Aaron Thorne have a little glass case with some jerseys in it. That's pretty cool, man. They treat us well. We're brooms for life, you know. Aaron was a phenomenal basketball player, still a good friend of, of myself and, and our family. And she played with my little sisters, who were twins, who were McDonald's All-Americans and won four state championships there. And, uh, yeah. Like with the Chessmans? Yep. Like, okay. Yep. Gotcha. There was an amazing run there for a while. Yes, with Lara Romo and Coach Hool, phenomenal people. And, and they won. They knew how to win. And so, yeah. Yeah, we got our jerseys up there. They treat us really well. And I go I go back there often, actually, to speak and help out with uh, the new coach, Coach Whitehead, over there at Mountain View. I'm still waiting for the Dan Henry jersey, but it's not up quite yet. We'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll figure that out later. Okay, so you end up going to UVSC out of high school. Yep. What was that experience like? And you're a young guy, and you're, and you're dealing with your mom passes away of pancreatic cancer around this time, right? Yes, yes. I ended up staying close to home. I actually had a, quite a few D- Division One offers. BOU was 1-25 at the time, so no one wanted to come to BOU. I was super close to going to Utah. Rick Majerus uh, was very interesting with Jeff Judkins, and then I was a Prop 48. So I took the ACT one time, didn't get a high enough score, and so I had to go JUCO route. I uh, decided to stay close to home, went to Utah Valley, and uh, ended up being a good choice because my mom, uh, we found out, got sick, and then she got sicker. And then we found out she wasn't going to get any better. And that happened within a span of three months, four months. And you're 18 at this time? Are you at Mountain View or are you? Uh, that was the fall going into my Utah Valley. So halfway gotcha. through my season, we find out my mom has pancreatic cancer. Mm. And she'd been dealing with some pains and back pains, but then we found out it was actually cancer. And, and three months later, she, we, we lost my mom. Wow. So what month do you find out, and then when does she pass away? Uh, we found, find out, I think it was December, right before Christmas, and mm. March 28th, she passed away. So you're trying to take all this in during your freshman season of basketball, and yep. obviously one's a priority over the other, but what was that whole experience like? I'm sure it was crazy tough. Crazy tough. You know, moms are everything. There's the glue. They're, they're special. They're amazing. They're Christ-like, and and my mom was everything to our family, and and we were young. You know, my little sisters were 11 at the time. I had a little brother that was 14, and my dad was a singles ward bishop uh, servant and trying to build his business, Hanson Insulation. And so we were busy, and we needed her. As a, you know, we needed mom. And looking back, thank goodness we had. I had 18 years with her. Um, the last thing she told me, I actually was rubbing her feet. The the her master bedroom filled up with uh, morphine and and just medicines to help her and to help her relax and and uh and one night you know, it would make her itch the type of medicine so we were rubbing her feet and she looked at me and said travi you ain't going on a mission are you gonna follow jesus <laughs> and i don't know if i'd made that decision until my mom actually looked me in the eye and asked me and four months later that was the last night uh she was with us here on earth and four months later i found myself in santiago chile serving a mission for for my mom and for for uh, God and Jesus and and uh, trying to help others. Wow! So that that influenced you to go on a mission. Then you would you have gone on a mission without that moment? I'd like to say so. I hope so. But man, your mom looks you in the eye and says, "You gonna go on a mission, big boy? You gonna you know you gonna do what's right? You gonna 
And yeah, that was that pushed me over to say I'm gonna I do whatever my mom asks. Absolutely, I'm going. Like literally, last dying wish kind of moment here. It feels like absolutely. Wow. Yep. How has she influenced your whole life? We go back to the way she lived her life, the way she fought cancer, the way she raised us. Everything was um, about love. She loved us. She loved supporting us in sports. She pushed us. She wanted us to get good grades. She wanted us to have good influences and friends. She wanted us to to do hard things. And so all those have um, affected me greatly. The person I am, the person I've become, the dad I am, uh, the parenting my wife and I do at home. And then, you know, also that choice to go on a mission has affected me greatly. I got that amazing opportunity to to serve the people of Chile, to do something greater than myself, to to preach the gospel 24-7, which none of us really have an opportunity to do uh, any other time in our life, um, to walk the streets. I'm six foot five. My trainer's six foot five, Jason Abbott from Vegas. He just came over the other day because he was dropping his son off at MTC. Man, the life, time goes fast. <laughs> and uh, we're both six five, two 220-pound young men with hopes and desires and love for all those people walking down and we probably scared the crap out of everybody, you know? <laughs> I've always thought about that too, being on the other end of that. I went to Brazil, so a similar yeah. experience where, do you think like the American FBI is showing up at your door? Yeah, like, what, right. what, like what do they think this is, you know, initially, right? Yeah, many times, many times they do. <laughs> and then they're on a bike. It's like, why aren't you in a car? <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, yeah, and just, I mean, that, that opportunity to serve a mission is just, so the, what a mission does for you, the leadership opportunities, the, uh, the confidence and humility, the, the opportunity to be around a mission president who's him and his wife are typically f- un- unbelievable human beings, unicorns we can find in the world. And they mentor you and they spend time with you and they love you. and they, uh, It's just the whole structure of it was just phenomenal. So I got home and I was a different person. In fact, I got home uh, two weeks after I got home. Um, I saw my mom or saw my dad and my sisters and they had gotten older. My dad was still single and, and uh, it bonded our family close, you know, losing your mom. To, and uh, that was very emotional to see them. <clears throat> and then two weeks later, I found myself in Compton, went to LA, California for a basketball tournament. My dad signed me up. I said, man, I'm not in shape for basketball. He's like, let's go, let's go play. Nowadays, we would not encourage this because it's too quick, right? Yep. Like yep. you got to get like ease into it. Yeah, take it easy. <laughs> get, burn those empanadas off, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm in L.A. with my dad, and we're playing in a tournament. Very first game. Everyone's in the stand. Coach Rose, Coach Cleveland, Majerus. I mean, you know, all the coaches here on the West West Coast are in, in the stands. Is it assumed that you're going to transfer somewhere? Um, or they just want you to transfer to their schools at this point. Everyone's just recruiting everybody, right? Yeah. It's summertime. Okay. It's you know July, August. It's live. Who's I out mean, there? Yeah, yep, yep. And so I show up and I play on a team, and I catch it. I, I don't think I start. I, I I get subbed in, and I got my mission legs right, and I hit a three, and I'm one of very few white guys in the gym. So they're all. He's a white guy. He can shoot. He's a shooter. Shooter. He's a shooter. Guard him. Don't let him get open. Make him put it on the ground. Make him dribble. And I'm like, man, I, I'm actually that, that. That was lucky that I made that shot. <laughs> like, I'm not <laughs> three. Good. I'm not three, but I'm a slasher. So they come. The very next play, they pass it to me on the wing, and they come flying at me, hoping that you know, you know, to cover the shot. I take two dribbles to the left baseline, jump and dunk it, and explode the backboard just completely destroy the rim i'm falling down on my back and i first first and last time ever breaking the backboard and i still have the rim in my hands you know i'm falling down like slow motion like where should i where should i put the rim like what, what's going on glass oh and i hit and they come flying out ambulance uh, emts and they keep saying close your eyes because the glass if it gets in your eyes you know it could be very damaging and we found out later that the Metal bracket, which holds the hoop on play on in place, uh, came back around and twisted, and I landed on, on my back. So I ended up in the LA hospital. Had about twenty stitches, and uh, and as I was walking out of that gym, they yelled, "White chocolate thunder! That's my guy! That's my guy!" They shut they shut down the tournament. They shut down the gym. Um, and I had. 
plenty of scholarship offers. Just two weeks off my mission, doing what my mom said, being obedient, working those hard. Two plays, two plays <laughs> signed to BYU. Wow. How no, close no you? more tournaments. Nothing. No more. That was it. <laughs> yeah, shut it down. How close were you to going somewhere else? Oh, by the way, I've seen that video. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I would have went. I mean, obviously, uh, BYU was in a different place when I got home. Dick, uh, Dave Rose, uh, he was at Dixie when I, before my mission, and he was the first person ever to come into my family, my home, while my, while my mom was still alive, and offer me a scholarship. As the Dixie head coach. As the Dixie head coach. Oh, wow. And to, so, to see him fast forward a couple years at BYU, and Coach Call, who had coached me at Utah Valley, was here, and Coach Judkins, who had tried to recruit me at the University of Utah, was here. I was, I had already built a really good relationship with those three individuals, and it, it was a pretty easy choice. And that's interesting because, like you said, BYU's climbing out of one in 25. The one win versus Utah State. I'll always hang that over the Aggies. <laughs> Utah, meanwhile, is going to Elite Eights, Sweet 16s, a Final Four. Yep. They lose to Kentucky in the National Championship game in 98. I mean, that, that program is at another level, right? A place where BYU's never been, still trying to get there. Yet, you were like, nope, BYU. It was the relationships? It's was re- it the school? Was it, okay, now they're not the one in 25 program? Because you'd already, well, I guess, would you have come to BYU had you had the, the ACT score originally? No, 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 no. I would have went to Utah. You would have <coughs> gone to Utah? Yeah. Okay. But now you say BYU. Yeah, I mean, when uh, you know, before in high school, BYU was one in 25, and you're right, everyone wanted to go to Utah. It, it was the Final Four, Elite Eight, Keith Van Horn, Andre Miller. It was the Mike place. Doliac. Let's go. It, I, I feel like I can name the whole starting five there. I, right. Like as a kid Drew, growing up. Drew Hansen. I mean, we're talking. Yes. You, you want to win. Britton Johnson. Yeah, you want to You want to win. Kids want to win. Yeah. As much as you want to be the guy and you want to play, and you, you want to be on a winning team. And, and Utah won. And so I would have went there. Now, coming back, um, it, it became a lot about relationships and who you trusted and who you want to be around. Did your mission change that for you? Absolutely. Or did you care about that No, absolutely. Absolutely. uh, Mission matured me, changed. And then also, you know, you look at it going back, and I don't even remember half the games. I don't remember where it was. I don't – there's so many milestones I really don't remember. But what I've taken with me, fast forward, playing professionally for 10 years, is the relationships and the experiences. And that's what – I don't know if I had even – better relationships and experience than I did here at BYU. So it ended up being a phenomenal choice. Very thankful forever that they came here, that there was a change that was made, and that uh, and that, that I had the opportunity to come play for the greatest university in America. It's hard to explain that to an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old. Hey, what you care about now is not what you care about then. Yep. And I can even say that to myself, right, yep. to ourselves now. Hey, what you care about now, you won't later. Like it rotates, right? And it's interesting. So it's it's interesting to see what led to that decision. Now, I've never asked you about this before. Did you get a tattoo to honor your mom or something at UVSC? Yep. Tell me about that. Mom passes away. R- rough, dark time, right, for any young man, let alone an 18-year-old. And you're lost. And you find uh, comfort in your friends, typically. And my friends happen to be, you know, Celestia Rivers and Leland Osborne and, and guys that, you know, when they go through stuff, black, uh, Leland's from the streets of Vegas, you know, Celeste's from Texas, now he lives in Arizona, you know, tough dudes. You, you go get a tattoo to honor, you know, you get, you get a symbol or some type of um, ink that uh, has a meaning behind it. And so yeah. I, I went and got a tattoo with those guys and it, said, it meant the heavens for my mom. It was something to, you know, you're... You pass the time, but also it's it, it was something to remember her by. Then I end up on my mission, and towards the end of my mission, President Hinckley says, "Young men, young women, you know, have one piercing, and young men, uh, or young, yeah, have one piercing and no tattoos." And I'm like, "Oh, I should, I should remember him coming out and saying." I was like, "It's like <laughs> it's like time to get it off." You know, if I want to be a good example, I got to get it off, and getting it off is a hundred times worse than getting it on. Mm, the pain? Yeah, painful. Yeah, it's a laser. Burns it off, burns the skin, and, and it's hot. It's not, it does not feel good. Um, but, yeah. Made, made when it, did you do that? Right after my mission. I think a year after. I think I played here my sophomore year, and then my junior and senior year was off. Gotcha. Where was it? Uh, right shoulder. 
right shoulder. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, there's pictures, BOU, back in the day. Sometimes they Photoshop them out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Raphael right. Or right. Raphael had too many. <laughs> <laughs> too many. Nowadays, they don't care. Um, that's changed a little bit, which is good. Yeah, and it came down to wanting to be a good example. It came down to I fall- mean the Photoshop. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but for me, it came down to following the prophet, making good choices, being mm-hmm. obedient. You know, if, if you do so, you'll be blessed beyond your imagination. Uh, he, Heavenly Father gives us his very most for our very least. And so if my very least is getting a tattoo off to being a good example when I'm playing in front of hundreds of thousands of young men and I want them to be good, then I need to set an example. Okay, just don't look at Richard Harwood's right arm this year then. <laughs> Everyone's different. You know, for him, it's he, true. He, you know, it could could be the stash, you know. or He's <laughs> <laughs> got Lord of the Rings on there. It's, it's actually pretty cool. Okay, so uh, we'll get to your BYU career in a second, but your time at UVSC, it turns into UVU. That still matters to you, right? Like, isn't – I, I assume maybe you donated some money for the strength and conditioning facility, or they just love you, or the combination of both. They've named it after you? The Travis Hansen Strength and Conditioning Center or something like that? Yeah, the one place I never went, right, the weight room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they've treated me really well, and I, I'll always have a, a, a amazing place in my heart for UVU. I met my wife there. I serve in a stake presidency at UVU at the Institute building now. That's cool. I met my wife as she walked up the steps of the UVU Institute building, and now we serve there together, which is pretty awesome. Telling YSAs, sign up for Institute. It's a great that's, – that's where you meet people. Um, so, yeah, it's – Everything's come back around. They've they, they treated me really, really well. They put a banner up there in, in their practice facility, and and it's named uh, the weight room after me. And they just they know how to treat people. You know, it's Matt Holland and Mark Pope when they were there. Yep. If there's anybody that knows how to treat people and and create a great community and bring back alumni, it's those guys. And so, yeah, we've we've really enjoyed our time and look at our time back uh, with great memories. Okay, so you play at BYU. Your nickname Elder Eight Mile. Because that movie comes out, you got the bleach hair. You got the. Did you take well to that nickname at the time after Eminem, or did, was it annoying? Was it awesome? Um, because I loved it as a fan of BYU basketball. I was like, this dude's awesome, dude. Yeah, I was kind of numb to it. Basically, <laughs> I, I, I was. I, I look back at my time when I was here. I, I probably should have enjoyed it more. Uh, Who gets the nickname Elder Eight Mile? I just, you know what I mean. I just wanted to win. And I, you did. I, I wanted to win so bad. I wanted to crush everybody who we played, and and I wanted to fight. You know, I wanted to win so bad. And and uh, wife's going through hair school. She she bleached my hair. Then Eminem comes out, and the movie comes out. And and if you're a player, you get a nickname. I think it was the University of Utah or San Diego State. Some one of the student sections put that in. Mm. And, That's and where it, I came from. And it and it stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And you you were okay with that? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> whatever, whatever distracts them from winning, <laughs> <laughs> and it did many times. A couple of Mountain West Conference titles. I read forty-four and one at home. You only lost one home game. Yeah. What have, was the one home sh- game? Shouldn't have lost it. Who was it? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm serious. It still makes me so mad. Was he lost it? Yeah. Oh. But you beat them a couple times. Yeah. Okay. They got the one. Yeah. You really don't want to talk about it. That success at home is incredible. Why was that group so good in the Marriott Center? Um, fans. Different but, setup at the time, by the way. Yeah. Where they are. Yeah, I think the Rock student section is just unbelievable. When, when you're a player and you, you want to play well, but you're nervous, right? You're going out there and, and you got your parents, you got your family. But when you have people cheering for you and you have people collectively, the, the energy, you, you play out of your mind. It's like you go to your church and you try to dunk it. And then you come in the Marriott Center with 20,000 screaming fans and you're Vertical instantly raises five inches. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh my gosh, it's got to be the floor. It's the floor. It's got to be the well, shoes. Well, the floor was springy, right? The floor was springy, but it's the energy. Mm. And so we played collectively harder, better, more unified, um, more confidence when we played in the Marriott Center because of our fans. And and it takes really mature teams to play with that same emotional intelligence and discipline away games, which we've kind of struggled on away games, but but at home. Yeah, collectively we figured it out, and, and that it, it made magic happen. Tell me about that era of BYU basketball because we're coming out of the 1-25, and and now BYU basketball gets to a point where, yes, it's back in the NCAA tournament, and there are a couple conference championships in there, and it's BYU basketball is back. It's back to where it was kind of the early to mid-'90s, right? 
So what did it take for that group to kind of resurrect the program at that time? I mean, it, t- it took some really great leaders, coaches and players, and guys that really knew how to play and they really wanted to make a difference. They wanted to win. And so they, they did a really good job of hiring the right coaches. Cleveland, Rose. I mean, Rose is the greatest assistant of all time. He, everyone loved him. He was an incredibly smart, offensive-minded. I mean, D- Dave Rose could have coached, you know, me and the pros. He, he's that good. Um, and then they had killer recruiters. I mean, Brian Santiago was our director of ops. So our, our, the associate our, athletic director, kind of the number two, tied number two in the program. Yep. And so, awesome. and so the staff was A+. Plus. It's the same thing you do when you want to build a business, right? Vision, strategy, build A-plus teams, do big deals. So they had a great vision, great strategy, build an A-plus staff, and then they did some big deals and they recruited some big-time players. I mean, Terrell Day, Trent Whiting, McKelly Wesley, Hoffa, me. I mean, that, that was a good, a good enough group to win a lot of games. Do you have a, a couple of games or, or moments or plays that kind of stick out as some of your favorite from BYU? Yeah, I mean, going down 17 to Utah at halftime and coming into the locker room and everyone's depressed, sad, just kind of in this weird mindset of what just happened. Like, why did we just get rocked? And Brian Santiago, you know, the coaching staff would meet um, uh, at halftime together, kind of outside the locker room and discuss things. And then they'd come in, you know, they'd probably put a strategy together. Okay, what do we need to improve? Okay, who's talking? Who's going to say what? Okay, let's go. And Brian was usually part of that staff meeting. And and instead, this time, we went in the locker room awaiting the coaching staff to come in. He came flying through the door, kicked the door down. What? And his his halftime speech is one of the greatest I've ever heard. He he had that Puerto Rican sass, Latino, and that confidence of, look, if, if I was in the alley, I'd want you guys with me. You know, let's, let's go fight. If we're going to go down, let's go fight. And I was like... Uh, it was almost like a Braveheart speech. <laughs> and we came out and we won. We came out and we, we had way more confidence, way more fight in us, and that's sometimes all the difference you need. That was a great comeback. That's one of the notable ones, right? Like 01 or 02. Or yep. Yeah. Any other plays that's, or moments that were funny or hilarious? Oh, my gosh. Or? I got too many. How much, how much time do you have? I mean, we uh, traveling was so fun. Uh, Hoffa and Creighton looking at me winking as someone was shooting a free throw. Kyle Corver was next to him, and I'm thinking, what is? what are you going to do? <laughs> Hoffa would always, you know. What, oh, gosh. He, he's one of those guys where you're like, if he goes postal, I won't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just glad he's on my team, you know. He's one of the – he winks at me like kind of this – this Grinch smile, like little creepy, doo 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 doo, and then whack Kyle Corver right in the face. You know, oh, gosh. pretends he's going for a rebound, oh. elbows him, tries to break his face, and Kyle's down and blood, bloody. And, and that's a good looking face. Come on, yeah, that's America's face right there. Come on, yeah. Hoffa didn't like it, so he <laughs> he, he told him, and you know, then he turns to the ref and's like, "What happened? I don't know what happened to him." Probably um, saying it in Portuguese, like I don't understand. Yeah, I don't, like, it's poor guy. Is he okay? Uh, Man, the championships, the tournaments, the wins. Uh, man, we had a great set of wins at Wyoming, Colorado State. Uh, the relationships. I mean, I love Trent Whiting. I don't know if the fans know about Trent Whiting, but Trent Whiting played at Snow. He grew up in Rigby, Idaho. Uh, played at Snow, signed at Utah. Didn't love the experience. He's got some great stories about Utah Majerus. And then he comes down to BOU as a transfer in his first game. I think we played Utah State. He had the sub. I mean, he just went crazy. Had like 21 at halftime. Pulled his jersey back, you know, hitting threes. Um, McKelly Wesley, his footwork, discipline, his intelligence. One of the, you know, he, he was the Luis Scola before Luis Scola. Mm, good one. Terrell Day. I mean, probably the all-time, one of the all-time greatest shooting guards here at BYU. His, had an com- unbelievable career in Russia. Made a ton of money. Um, so, I just love the players, love the staff. Those are all the memories and experiences. Love being around the guys. I miss the locker room, miss the games. I don't miss the practices as much. But I love being around it, and it brings back tons of memories just thinking about it. That's when I fell in love with BYU basketball. It's kind of that 2001 team. Uh, I'm in high school. I'm I'm trying to play basketball myself. And I'm just – like football, I'd always kind of been conscious, but I don't move to Utah until like 95. So I'm not buried in BYU sports because I can't watch on TV. Technology is different. But that 0-1 team, I just, like, clung to. That was special, beating New Mexico, right, for the conference championship. And all of a sudden, we're playing NCAA tournament games, and we're, like, a part of it. 
And it's back where BYU needed to be, right? Which is so exciting. So, yeah, when you say those names and some of those games, it's like, yeah, a one and two, three. That was amazing. I was on my mission for 02 and 03 and 04. So I, I missed, I basically missed the Hoffa era. I saw one game, went on my mission. But I'd, I'd heard some of these stories. So thanks for sharing that. That was great. Okay, so when you're done with BYU, are you thinking, okay, I'm good enough to play in the NBA. I should be a first round pick. Are you hoping I just want to be drafted at all? You end up getting picked in the second round. Like, walk me through that time period. Yeah, so <clears throat> you finish your senior year, which is devastating because we lost to UConn and and uh, the tournament. And I wanted to I wanted to win so bad for BOU, for the fans, for everybody. And so you kind of come off a devastating loss. Your senior year's over, and, and there's there's some emotion behind that. And then you get offered and invited to go play at Portsmouth, which is the top seniors in the nation. And then you get invited to Chicago, and Chicago is usually the top 20, 30 players that most likely are going to get drafted. And in between those two um, uh, competitions, you, you you try out for teams. So teams hit you up, um, and you go fly into you know the Lakers, L.A. They pick you up in a town car. They treat you nice. They put you in a hotel. You do a uh, personality assessment. You're like, I'm going to break another backboard here. Yeah, I'm going to go throw <laughs> something down. And uh, you meet everybody. You do one-on-one, two-on-two, ball handling, shooting. Basically, every NBA team does about the same assessment. And then they say, man, you're awesome. We love you. You know, they're so scared to make a bad choice. So they're just giving compliments out there. When you're going to be a great NBA player because, man, if we don't draft him, he ends up being, he's going to hate us forever. He's going to tell us he's going to exploit us on ESPN. Um, But before that, you have to pick an agent. And picking an agent is really difficult because it's a little bit of a a slimy business in in some regards. And and, And also, you just don't know much about agents. You know, there's no... Glassdoor review site you can go to and see agents and see how people have <laughs> rated them. And so the only one I really knew to, to reach out to is Danny Ainge. And I had been hit up to probably about 40 or 50 agents, had them on a spreadsheet, and sent them to Danny. Danny's always been so kind to me, so good, and he says, look, uh, there's only two guys on that whole list that I would even be talking to. And one's Justin Zanuck, who ended up being assistant GM of the Jazz. Now he's GM of Milwaukee Bucks, great human. And Bill Duffy. And Bill Duffy has Carmelo, Steve Nash, Clay Thompson, Yao Ming. And, and I met with both of them. I actually brought Coach Rose with me, my dad. And um, we decided on Duffy. And Duffy changed my life. Having a great agent, mm-hmm. someone that you really love and look up to. Um, he, a black guy from San Francisco, uh, lives in Walnut Creek. And he just took me in as, uh, like his son. And he treated me so good. I, I probably would have made half the money without Bill Duffy having my back and, and guiding me through it and validating me and at times being my psychiatrist and talking to me like, yeah, yeah, I don't know if I like the magic. I think you, I think you fit better with the Spurs. I, no, you, you're an NBA guy. Are you sure? Don't you think I'd end up in Europe? No, 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 dude. You can play. Trust me. And having someone like that, that uh, like a mentor, really, really helped me. And I, I'll be forever grateful for him. So if choosing the agent would be the, probably the most critical part of these kids' next steps when they finish their college career. So you pick Bill, and then he helps you get to the second round, like the eighth pick of the second round. He put me Hawks. he put me in opportunities to succeed. So he took me to Bradenton, Florida. I moved my whole family down there, and I I, I worked out and trained at IMG. Selena Williams is next to me, getting her you know ankles taped like me. And so you're around amazing athletes, and they put you through NBA workouts. Then you fly in, fly out from Bradenton to whatever NBA team wanted to work you out. And he did a really good job of. Uh, making sure you're with a guy, uh, with the right group of guys. So most of the time I work out with like Dwayne Wade, and we were like top five guards. Because he's in that draft class as well. Correct. At Marquette. Yeah, many times we, we worked out in Chicago Bulls together um, and Memphis Grizzlies. And, and so, you know, he, he just put me in a lot of opportunities to succeed with the right guys and with the right confidence, with the right trainers. And that led me to play really, really well. And so I think I was 20 – um, two or 27 in the first round draft and a couple guys um, fell and Joe Dumars is texting me during the draft and that's the one team I really want to go to Elder 8 Mile Detroit Joe Dumars mm-hmm. I mean and they loved me and it ended up uh, not working out and I dropped seven spots and Terry Stotts and Billy, Ke- and Billy Knight ended up taking me for, uh, for Atlanta Hawks which was awesome 
What was it like playing in the NBA? Here's this kid from Warham. You've you've overcome so much. Here you are in the NBA, man. It was amazing, right? You're sitting there with your family, and draft night's coming, and they they you get drafted, and Jay Billis talks about you. And you don't even remember what he said, and then you know, Terry. <laughs> what did he say about you? I have no. Twenty five. <laughs> he's an older. He's an older rookie, but he can yeah. play right away. He's not a project, you know. Uh, Forty inch vertical, elder eight mile, and. Um, <laughs> Uh, Terry Stotts and Billy Knight call you right after, like minutes after they announce your name and say, we're so excited. Let's go, man. We, you know, we're flying you out in the morning, press conference, media, fly in, start looking for places to live and immediately start taking steps to move your family out there wherever it is. And and uh, then you're right into Rocky Mountain Review, Summer League, and and you're signing your check. What, I get a $50,000 bonus. Um, like which, sweet. It was nice. I mean, when we're when I'm making seven hundred dollars scholarship money, oh, about eight hundred because I got an extra hundred bucks for the creamery. Um, you got a hundred bucks for the creamery? Yeah. What per, do you mean per month? What? What? Yep, seven hundred dollars scholarship, uh, rent and whatever else, and then I I think rent was paid on top, and then creamery hundred bucks. You could go and get groceries or food. Grocery. They have like uh, burgers and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, we were broke. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I we were broke, broke, yeah. broke, 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 and. And my oldest son had just been born rider and had undeveloped lungs. And so he's had to stay about a week in the hospital. And so we came out of the hospital about 4000 5000 in debt. Wow. And uh, it was not fun time. Money was tight. And so, yeah, to get drafted to Atlanta Hawks and get a $50,000 check was was dream come true, right? Yeah. Um, and this is how great my wife is. So we get the $50,000 check. You know, my, I think my contract's like three sixty first year, seven twenty second year. So we know we're going to make good money, and then we find out how much we're paying in taxes, and we're like, oh, cut that in half. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> and you have an still, agent. We, yeah. We're still okay. Okay. Um, and she went and helped her family out. You know, she read this quote by Boy K. Packer a long time ago. It said, give a piece of crust away, get a loaf back. Mm. And said, you know, my my parents love me and help me, and they, they're in a house that, you know, they owe more than it's worth. Let's go help them. You know, and so we took most most of that and helped her parents, and uh, that was the start of understanding the rewards of giving back yourself. We hope we helped. We hope they're the greatest people. They're the nicest. My mother in law's going straight to heaven. She's one of the most in loyal the BYU age. fans and greatest humans ever. Greatest grandma, and uh, but we've been so rewarded for giving back, and and that was my wife initially saying, you know what, that immediately as soon as we get some money, we're gonna go help people. That's awesome. What do you remember from that rookie season? And how many times oh. did you dunk on somebody that was awesome? Steven Jackson singing, will, will the real Slim Shady please stand up my first practice? The whole song. <laughs> the whole song. He was so pumped that I was on the team. Treated me like his little brother. He knew about the Elder 8 Mile thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, did yeah. everybody? I assume. they. Was it a thing in the NBA with you? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, I went to Detroit. It was like. You know, M&M's in Ever. town. Yeah, yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are this kid from Orem. <laughs> yeah, I'm Mormon. <laughs> um, they treated me really, really well. It was phenomenal. It was fun. The guys were great, very professional. Um, Terry Stoss was an incredible head coach. Uh, ran some nice little alley-oop plays for me. I just loved it. I loved it. The sad thing was, which I think it kind of helped, uh, the same thing happened with Jimmer, is – it just wasn't structurally sound as far as a healthy, empowering organization. Ted Turner owned it. He'd sold it during my rookie year. They fired the GM. They fired Terry Stotts, the head coach. And so the whole kind of internal broke up. Because mm. uh, I had Jason Terry, Steve, uh, uh, Stephen Jackson, Rasheed Wallace, Theo Ratliff, Bob Sura, me. I mean, Boris Diaw. We had a great team. And they they kind of just blew it up in the middle of the season, similar mm. to what Jimmer happened with Paul Westfall. Yeah, and that happened weeks in. Like, yeah, it was rough. Yeah, and it's tough because it is relationships, and you have each other's back. And these guys are the ones that saw me all summer and wanted me. And yes, whose agenda was that I'm here that isn't here now? Yep, that's rough. Yep, and they brought in Mike Woodson, who was still great, but then they drafted another quite a few guards. And um, Spain came, and Spain came, and they had Luis Scola, Jose Calderon, Tiago Splitter, Nocioni, um, just an unbelievable team. Bunch said, of NBA guys in the future. Yeah, said, look, you're going to make seven twenty. How about we pay you, you know, two years, four million, and we won't, you know, your taxes are going to be half of half of what you would pay, and we'll pay for your rent, we'll pay for this and that. I mean, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at my wife and our firstborn child, saying, 
I got to take care of them. You know, like, let's go, let's go. And, and you that, speak Spanish from Chile, and you're, you've lived in a foreign country. Yep. So this isn't unfamiliar ground for you, at least. Yep. Yeah. Wife, yes. Wife cried the first night in Atlanta. Cried the first night in Spain. Totally. Uh, farthest she ever went was Oklahoma on a dad's work trip. <laughs> <laughs> this is quite the trip now. And now she craves it and misses it and wishes we'd go back to Spain. But mm. um, it ended up being a great decision. Spain was awesome. Playing with Luis Scola, Pablo Prigioni, two of my most dear friends today, playing 70 games a year and winning 60. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. Good money, good people, great experiences, incredible culture, um, 10 times better than it was in Atlanta. Mm. So, because people look at the NBA and they go, ah, the NBA or nothing. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand the landscape of basketball out there. So there's a guy like Brandon Davies yep. who's having a similar situation. He's been a EuroLeague star, and yes, he played a little bit in the NBA, kind of similar path to you, making great money, having a great life. Like he's, it feels like he's the second version of this maybe from BYU basketball. Yeah, he's crushing it. He's doing a great job. And Barcelona is the best. I mean, uh, incredible budgets, people, architecture, community. And that's what you want. You know, no matter where you work or what you do for a living, you want to work with an incredible group of people. You want to solve interesting problems. You want this community that you feel part of. You want to be feel empowered. And I, the world's lacking that in organizations. There's so many organizations that just aren't healthy. They don't have healthy leadership. And so um, to play for a community like Vitoria, Spain, in the Basque community up north, where this team wasn't, you know, supposedly this big team, but they had a big budget. Um, they, they, the, the fans knew basketball. They, you know, when when Atlanta could barely get ten or twelve thousand out to a game, you know, Vitoria, Spain had twenty five thousand out, whistling the whole time, waiting for you, and trying to find out where you live and what apartments, trying to get your signature, trying to get. I mean, they were all in. And so the the vibe of it, which I'm sure Brandon's feeling in Barcelona, is just a hundred times better feeling than it is if playing for some teams in the NBA. Wow. Okay, so let's walk through sort of that journey there. So you talked about Spain. How, how do you say it? Tau Ceramica? Yep. That's your first team in Spain one year? Basconia, yep. Basconia. Two, two, two years. Two years, okay. Then you go to Moscow, Dynamo Moscow. This is sort of when I'm like, oh, Travis is playing overseas. Internet, it's hard to know what's going I'm like, oh, Travis is in Russia. I don't know what's going on here. Tell me about Russia because you, <laughs> you become a superstar in Russia, which is something you probably never thought ever when you were little thinking, oh, I'm going to, one, be a pro basketball player, and two, in Russia. In Spain, Final Four, you know, win 60 out of 70 games, and, and we're on the best, if not the second best team in all of Europe. And Moscow has big budgets, and they have hopes and dreams of building a great team too. And so what do you do if you want to build a great team, but you don't know how? You go buy the best players, <laughs> and, and you know, uh, Brooklyn Nets style. And so they came <laughs> out and um, offered us a large sum of money. And this is how Russia negotiates. Spain, my team in Spain says, we want you forever. Please stay here. You, you've been a phenomenal part of the team. We'll pay you two million a year, and Russia says no. We'll pay you two point one, and Spain says we'll pay you two point two, and Russia says enough of this. We'll pay you five. <laughs> you <know? laughs> that's Ru- that's Russian negotiations, and so we're discussing it, going back and forth. My wife says ah, Israel and Russia, probably the two places I, I wouldn't feel safe with our kids and their family. We, you know, we want to have more kids, and and uh, well, how much are they offering? Uh, what do you think? Oh, let's go try it. And so. <laughs> And it turned out to be awesome. They treated yeah. me so well. It was so fun. We ended up starting a foundation, um, building a uh, orphanage there, and helping support um, many uh, kids. It's been a blessing in our life. And then also they gave me Russian citizenship. We played really well. We had great teams. I had great coaches, including David Blatt, who coached the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Um, great choice. We had the feeling it would work out, and, and thank goodness it did because um, – we were a little bit nervous about it, and it turned out to be an awesome blessing. What's What are some things about Russia that nobody knows about or that maybe is like a stereotype that's not accurate, that you were like, no, 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 Russia's awesome? Um, the people are fantastic. They're, they're um, a little bit 
quiet and cold at first, and then you get in their home and they're everything but. Mm. Uh, they've they've been taught not to draw attention to themselves, you know, through all those understandably years, yes. And um, they love sports. They love people. They love their families. They really just want to be successful and happy within their family. Uh, most of them hate the politics and all the other weird stuff that comes with it. So really, just like us, brothers and sisters, normal people that that if you treat well, they treat you even better, and they've treated us very, very well. Um, backed our foundation, backed me, helped my family. Anytime one of my kids had a birthday, they'd come over with Lego sets to to Paw Patrol movie, you know, whatever it was at the time. And um, it just ended up being a phenomenal experience. Cold, a lot of baked potatoes and ice cream on the streets. Uh, food wasn't fantastic. Uh, not like Spain or Italy, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> but the the surprising thing about Russia was the U.S. community of expats, they call mm. them. And Madrid, I thought there'd be way more, or in Vitoria, and there was very few members of the church in Spain. In fact, my kids were the only ones in primary. But in Russia, everybody, I mean, our branch was as big and as loyal and as all-in as a ward here in Utah, and it was awesome. The relationships and experiences just being a part of members of the church in Russia was worth every year to go over there. And we ended up spending almost five years there. That's amazing. Um, you end up, you mentioned you got Russian citizenship, a red passport, I guess they call it or something. What was that like? Because I know there was this conversation of the 08 Olympics, you're representing Russia. There were some people that were like, hey, what are you doing? You're American. Yet an opportunity to play for Russia in the Olympics. You don't actually end up playing for Russia in the Olympics. Did they qualify or did you not choose to do it? Um, yeah, so we didn't go. We, we chose not to play in it. But what, what happened is, well, number one, NBA teams are owned by wealthy individuals, right? The professional teams over there are, in Russia, owned by the KGB and the Army. Uh, so the FSB and the Army. So it, oh, it's equivalent of the U.S. having a professional team and one's backed by the CIA and one's backed by the Army or Navy, right? <laughs> that would be so weird. Weird, right? It, so phenomenal budgets. Who owned Dynamo Moscow? Uh, KGB, FSB. So Viktor Ivanov, he's about third up uh, next to Putin. And um, So they're like, you're our guy, here's resting citizenship. Well, Because no, we are the government. Well, number one, you have that. Uh, but number two... Um, they protect their players. They put, protect the Russians and, and, and Spain and every country. What do you country. mean protect? Um, as far as players' union. So in Spain, you have to have two to four players on the team at all times that are Spaniards. Yeah. So it would be like Utah Jazz having to have someone born in Utah on the team at all times. Right? In Russia, you had to have two Russians on the court. Or in this case, United States citizens, I guess. Uh, could be, yeah. It wasn't state-driven. It was... Country, country driven. driven yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so Russia had two Russians on the court at all times, and so on the court, on the court had to be that's on the court different playing than on the roster. Correct. Interesting. And many leagues still have this, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. In Europe. Yep. Yeah. Foreigners, Spaniards, yeah. and uh, so Russia. Um, the two big teams were Dynamo and Sesaka, FSB Army. Dynamo. Yep. Dynamo. Gotcha. And and Sesaka had J.R. Holden. Uh, African American kid could really play. Been there a long time, and they they had given him Russian citizenship. Mm. So the other part was, we need a guy on the court at all times that can play. And if he wanted to play for Olympics, that'd be great. But we need him. And for some reason, they chose me. And they said, "What do you think?" And if it helps the team, it helps you. Uh, you know, give me some love help in the foundation. Let's go help some kids. And sure. so you negotiated that way. Yep. Nice. Yep. At some point, I think my second contract there, the GM, Drozdov, called me and said, Travis, Travis, we love you, but this is not a grocery store. You can't go down and just pick everything you want, you know, because I'm negotiating, like, my kids' school, cars, you know, airplane tickets. I like 10 first-class tickets, please. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, he said, listen, bro, enough's enough. I think I was asking for too much at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they treat, they just, it worked out really, really well. They ended up not playing in the Olympics, but ended up being a Russian citizen that, they, uh, citizen that they could use on the court at all times. And, you know, I played 40 minutes a game. So you played for Russia, just not in the Olympics? Correct. 
And you chose not to play in the Olympics. Yep. You could have played in the Olympics mm-hmm. for Russia. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose not to? Um, I have to, to be honest, I just really want to spend time with my family. <laughs> 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 we were training so much. I was in, in the off season. Yeah, I was in it's Italy August, at the time. July, we're, August. Yeah, Carol- we're in Italy at the time. Yeah, well, we went to Italy for training camp for the Olympics. And so, um, Many times these teams go to a different country to. So you're still thinking in training camp you're gonna do, you are going to play. Yeah, we're because tr- you went I'm, with them. Yeah, we're with Karolinko, we're with the whole team, we're training, yeah. and um, yeah, thinking about doing it. And Dave Blatt was the coach, who is my also my club team coach, Dynamo coach, and he said, "What do you want to do?" And it was gonna end up being basically a week off. I was because our team was so good, we go to the Euro Championships, take a week off, and go to the Olympics. And I wouldn't see my family for four months. I said, I'd rather go home. I'd rather be with my family. He's like, do what you got to do. And were they were they mad about it? Because um, they had given you citizenship to play, I assume. Yeah, they they went playing. They went back to J.R. Holden to convince him to play a little bit too. Was so, there a certain they could only have X amount of these? I don't think so. Or unlimited, if they want. Yeah, to they end up being nice about it. Gotcha. I mean, in all reality, it was more of a club team thing than Olympic thing. Gotcha. That's quite the decision. Yeah. Because playing in the Olympics is sort of a, a pursuit of a lifetime, right? Yeah. 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 But I love my wife and I love my kids and I really want to be around them. And I'm American and I love America. And, you know, playing <laughs> there, playing there, for Russia, trying to, trying to beat America was, you know, definitely not something I dreamed of. <laughs> so that was part of it? Like, eh, I'm not sure I want to yeah. actually do that? Yeah. Flattering that they did it, though? Absolutely. They liked you so much they wanted you to compete for their country, which is interesting. In some sports, this happens. Like rugby, they give like half the team's not United States citizens per se. They're just sure. U.S. eligible. Sure. It's interesting. So this happens way more than you think. Yep. But, yeah. yep. They're competitive and they want to win, and so they try to get the best players to help them do so. Wow. Okay, so you then you go to Spain. Your story's not over. You're still going. Real Madrid. Um, this is a place where – you, you you were already a star in Russia, but like, what was playing for Real Madrid? Who's the arch rival, by the way, of like FC Barcelona, right? Yep. So you know that rivalry. Yep. But they they treat you so well there. It sounds like. Yep. What was that like? And then, are you homies with the soccer team, by the way? Is it like yeah, yeah, you, facilities by each other? Yeah, yeah. Practice together. Yep. So, so yep. who are some of the soccer players you got to? Uh, my my Christmas dinner table was me, Pablo Prigioni, Kaká, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Marcelino. I think Roberto Carlos okay, was actually – he had just left and he was he, – he actually signed for Dinamo. So I saw him in Russia. Oh, wow. One time I yelled at him in Portuguese, like, good game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, His calves are like twice as big oh as Luke Staley's. He has maybe on, the greatest goal of all time. It's this left-footed blast that just curves in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kick. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, he's he's amazing. Um, Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Russia. They call us from Real Madrid. The Sesaka coach, army coach in Russia, had left for Real Madrid. And they had signed Pablo Prigioni, who was my all-time greatest friend. And he was in Spain, and they had convinced him to go to Real Madrid. So he calls me, too, with Ettore Messina. And they say, Trav, come on, man. Come to Madrid. And I say, I'm, I'm, living, I'm loving Russia. Say, you don't like Russia. Come on, man. You know, come on. Come to Madrid. I say, I really love it here. I love, I love my coaches. I love, I love my teammates. And, but, but I love Pablo. And I know Pablo's going to pass me the ball. And he's, he's a dear friend. And, and in all reality— uh, I went back to play f- with Pablo. Went back to play with my old old uh, teammates, and they signed many of my former teammates. You know, Sergio Vidal and and Luka Doncic was uh, was one of the juniors on the team, mm. and um, and it was a smart move. It was how fun, old was fun he at the back. time? I think he was like sixteen. He was a young guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, what was he like when he was young? Um, same thing with Marcus Saul, a little chubby and. Those guys and and the incredible players. You could see the talent. You could see the potential, but had a little bit of Euro whiny in them. You know, you, mm. Luca would not get the ball or put, make a bad you know pass or turnover, and he'd put his head down, run over the bench, and, and cry. You know, um, so it took some maturity, and and I don't think anybody knew how good he was going to be. Oh my gosh, he's turned out to be top five in the world right now. Yeah, he tur- he's turned out to be incredible. Yeah, that's why. But so did well. So was Marcus All. Marcus All turned out to be a big time player as, as well. And so those, 
they, they develop their players really, really well in Europe. They do an incredible job of spending time with you and teaching you how to play the game the right way. Did you learn Russian in Russia? Yeah, I speak a little bit. What did you just say? I don't speak very good Russian. That's <laughs> what, what I said in Russia. That's what I said in Russian. That you don't speak very yeah. good? Yeah, I speak a little bit of Russian, but not very good. Was it like grocery store Russian? Yeah, like you, like you could ask. I started it. really, you know, I downloaded Pimsleur app and really started focusing trying to trying to learn Russian. So you're two and a half. My Spanish lingual. is way better. <laughs> Spanish is way better. I would hope so. Yeah, although you lived there longer, but yeah, you weren't forced to, I guess, interact. We were almost five years. We were five years in Spain as well. So yeah, yeah, we loved we loved Spain. Five years in Russia, five years in Spain. How how has that shaped uh, like your kids and your family dynamic? Having that experience, yeah, we loved it. I mean, we loved every part of it. We're we, now we just we're hippies. All we want to do is travel, and <laughs> we we want to just keep going around. We just love the people. Yeah, uh, we love Europe. We got the opportunity to go back with bas- BYU basketball team and Mark Pope and and to uh, the Italy uh, trip, Italy, and, we, and me and Brian Santiago went a week or two early and hit up Spain together. Oh, nice! And then we met up with Italy. Um, I don't I don't know. It, it'd be hard to describe everything. All the blessings that come from our family for. I have lived in Europe. Again, the relationships, the experience, the food, the cultures. Uh, I hope we. I hope we're more well-rounded people. I hope we uh, judge less. Uh, I hope you know. We just have an affinity for all those cultures and people. They're just amazing. Everywhere you go, you find. If you really go with an open heart, you find some amazing humans and amazing um, learnings. So now, what are you up to? All these years later, because I, I know you're in you're in business and you got your foundation, doing some good work. It sounds like trying to right. You, I got home and I didn't know what to do with my life. What Start, year is this? Um, two thousand eleven, twelve. Nice. And I think I want to be done, but I keep getting a few contracts. And my wife's like, uh, "You promised me, Riders nine. Right? He turns nine. He's structure and he's. It's more about the kids than your oldest kid. Yeah." Time to wrap it up, and I meet with Blake Roney. Blake Roney is just one of my favorite people ever. He's the founder and owner of New Skin. He's been successful in business, marriage, life, kids, everything. So Someone that in all as- uh, facets is successful. And I, I meet with him, and uh, he says, what are you going to do with your life? What do you want to do? What do you? I'm, I, don't, I don't know. Well, do you, do you want to coach? Do you want to scout? Do you want to be away from your family? For 10 years, you were gone from your family every other week. Do you want to keep doing that? I don't know. Do you want callings? Do you think it's important to progress and become a better person? Do, will callings help you do that? Yeah. Well, do you want to go to church? Yeah. I mean, okay. So I think building businesses is one of the most charitable things you can do. I said, you sell lotion for a living. Like, how's that charitable? I said, well, I help people. I have resources and people come to me and and people, all my kids need skills and confidence and a community to be around. They need a team and they need to feel valued and they need money to, to be able to live. And, and we solve interesting problems. And I was – I was Like that process of building a business. I was completely addicted. Interesting. And the ability to obviously make money but then to be helpful with that money. Yep. Like you were talking about. Yeah, and have abundance mentality. As, as far as I'm going to do something really hard, I like to do hard things. You know, I've been trained to – you know, fight over an orange basketball. I like hard stuff. And so I'm going to do something really hard, which building a business is, for all the entrepreneurs out there, is tough mentally. A lot, lot less physically is than sports and basketball was, way more mental. And um, you can build an A-plus team. You can completely change your world and possibly some people's world. And 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 you all benefit from it. And, and you bless each other with each other's talents. And so I set off on a rampant, you know, adventure to start businesses. And we started uh, our, our nonprofit, and then we started um, Tech9, Lyft Credit, and Eddie. And it's been a blast. Eddie's an HR platform that empowers local businesses to, um, to have healthy organizations. And it's an HR play. It's payroll, ATS. I work with awesome humans that we're trying to really democratize HR and make the world a better place as far as how people are treated within organizations. Um, the foundation has 10 children's centers around the world. Tech9 has 200 employees in six different offices. Uh, Lyft is, has 50 employees and it's in four or five states. Um, 
uh, just got done being a bishop, and then I was re- and then called into a stake presidency down at Utah Valley University in a YSA. Uh, my oldest son's on a mission in Barcelona. Let's I, talk about that for a sec. Yeah. When he gets that call back to Spain. Unbelievable. I'm, I almost <laughs> cried. I, I literally almost cried. I was so in shock. Uh, family was there, opening the call. We're so nervous. My wife thinks it's Russia. And we love Russia, but it's scary. It's, it's a, you know, there's a little part of that. It was a little... Some, uh, They've made movies about missionary in Russia. Yeah, it's a little yeah. some uncertainty, and um, and he gets Barcelona, Spain. If there wasn't if there was an assignment, we would choose for him. And thank goodness for revelation and and believing in, and and probably mom's prayers helped too. <laughs> uh, and he was so so pumped. He of all and he places, just got there. I mean, yeah, he wanted to go to Hawaii or Spain. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's how much we love. I have a cousin Spain. in Cancun. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, and it, the greatest thing about being home, too, was I got to coach. You know, I got to coach at Springville High. I coach at Springville High right now. I'm part of the varsity staff, and I got to coach him this last year. And I would get, get to coach my next one coming up, who's an eighth grader, who's a phenomenal player. And, and I need the kids in my life. I need them. I, I love being around them. Um, I love giving them advice. Coaches still have a voice in the world. And um, it's they've blessed my life. That's awesome, man. Um, I remember at some point I asked you, I don't remember if I just asked you if I could add a jersey if, or if you just sent it, but you sent me one from uh, from your Russian team. Oh, really? From Dynamo? Din- Dynamo, yeah. So I've got one, uh, and you signed it, which is super cool. So I, I really appreciate that, man. Um, you end up getting uh, – do you get a nonprofit management certificate from Duke? We started a foundation. We're building children's centers, you know, raising money, and I figured I should learn how to run a foundation. So went back to Duke University. I almost got my MBA from there. and. And we decided to start a business instead. And, and, and they uh, teach you how to draw charges. Is that the thing they, they're like, here's how you draw a charge. Coach can't walk right. through it. No, uh, they did, not me. Um, they taught us such good stuff. I mean, nonprofit world, uh, the people, the processes. Yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Went back to Duke, got a nonprofit management certificate, and, and, and we've been building businesses ever since. And then uh, your feature, your house build is featured on a TV show. What was that like? Oh my gosh! Yeah, we're, bu- we're building. That was this- cool. <laughs> it's funny. It's like we we bought some land down in Mapleton. We felt really good about. Shout out to Mapleton. I just moved down there. We love it. So good. And um, all, all our neighbors keep saying, "Don't tell people you love Mapleton. Leave them. Let them go <laughs> to Alpine." I mean, it sucks. Yeah, it stinks. <laughs> um, so we went down there and we're building a home, and and Studio McGee is helping design it, and apparently. They sign a deal with Netflix. So they approach us and say, is there any way we put your house on Netflix? I said, man, I don't want to be on TV. You know, we don't want our kids' rooms on TV. We You're don't really want... letting people in. Yeah, yeah, and you have to be you know, a little bit sensitive to – and, it, you know, they made it worthwhile, and then they also are just great people, Shay and Sid. Yeah, they were they were awesome. They're, they're great humans. Yeah. And so we said, sure. So put us on the Netflix episode and – and and wow, my gosh! I mean, I got people that I baptized in Chile hit me up like, "Oh, nice house!" You know, I want to see a nice court. <laughs> so the reach was that's w- cool. It was way bigger than I thought it'd be. Worth um, it in that regard to just like connect with people again. Yeah, yeah, and and we've been able to help people. They've they're building their dream homes. And they're asking us for plans and what mm. we would do differently, or you yeah. know, what type of light do we have? And it's fun just to help people. There's so much abundance if you just don't be the you know. It's, it's, I swear, rich people can get really weird. And so just be, have that abundance mentality where you help everybody. It's great for everyone to be successful. You want everyone to be happy and be productive, and we can all have the same chandelier. That's okay. It's sweet. Yeah, yes, we can. Yeah, it's Imagine. awesome. What's a chandelier, Travis? Um, I don't know, some light. Let's talk about, let's talk about your, your – you have a basketball court. Mm-hmm. Connected to it's in this barn. Mm-hmm. Walk me through the design choice there. That's awesome. I can see it from Highway 89. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, it, it stemmed from a frustration that I love my kids and I love spending time with them. And we don't have a alfalfa farm or – oh, I guess we do now. Uh, but we don't have, like, <laughs> cows. And, yeah. And so – Wait, I, you have an alfalfa farm we, at, you, at your place? Yeah, we, we have 15 acres of alfalfa. We cut three cuts a year. It's Does awesome. that to uh, sort of honor your dad? I, it just happened by accident. It just happened? Yeah. Just like, okay, but your dad did that growing up. Yeah. Then. That's yeah, cool. Oh, it comes back around. Um how are you going to train your kids? Like, how are you going to spend time with them? How are you going to teach them life lessons, but at the same time milk a cow and 
and work. Like kids need to work, man. They mm-hmm. need jobs. They need to stay busy. They, they get off their devices and get away from their friends and be around family, like real. And and so I wake up at five in the morning and I train my kids. I've been doing it with Ryder since he was in fifth grade. And it it's quiet. It's special, sacred uh, time where I can tell him, you know, I mean, I really love the gospel. Like I really do. It's made my life better. The relationships from the gospel while we're shooting free throws. You know, I really love your mom. You know what I like about your mom? You should marry someone like your mom because mom's your your mom's special. And little by little, especially when COVID hit, churches weren't open and stake presents were taking rims off. <laughs> you know, that cha- happened. Chaos. So the people wouldn't go in. Chaos. We're ha- oh, yeah. I'm like, I hadn't heard that. That's wild. And I'd call one state president and say, "Hey, can I get keys to the church?" And he say, "Oh, I can think of nothing better than a dad and a son playing." And then I call another one because sometimes the 6 a.m. ball hits. I need another plan B. And he say, no, absolutely not. And the Marriott Center, you know, had the events. I have, you know, trying to get access there. I got the annex and, you know, Coach Pope's like, man, everyone's coming in here and we're practicing more. And, you know, and so it was stemmed from a frustration of I want a place where I can spend time with my kid. And I want to work out and I want to play and I want teams and I want everyone to be able to use it. So we went down to Mapleton and now everyone uses it. My sister will be there tonight with her son and, and their team playing. Um, many people have come and used it and and it's I th- hopefully it's been a blessing because it's been a blessing in my life. And so, yeah, it's ginormous. It was only going to be half court and then it went to full court. Uh, you got to go full if you're going to Everyone calls it, right? me, do, do full, don't do half, you know. But yeah. it, it, I just wanted a place where I could spend time with my kid and teach him lessons while rebounding for him. That's awesome. What what's the most random group that's used it? Um oh my gosh. You know, Clay Thompson. Uh um Clay Thompson used it? Yeah. Um Your homies with Clay? Yeah. We got the same agent. Uh he Jake, came and just shot? Yeah. Jake, Jake Toulson um worked out, out with Skyler Halford while he was trying to get drafted yeah. and playing for the Jazz there quite a bit. Hold on, I want more about Clay. Yeah, he just came over and just hey, can I use your barn court? Well, I've been working, trying to get him to come speak to my company mm. and my employees because yeah, we're big Golden State fans, and uh, he was in town and yeah, he, that that dude doesn't take a day off. If he's mm. if he's in the area, he finds a gym and he gets his shots up. That's cool. Hundred twos, hundred threes, hundred free throws, and a hundred deep threes makes, and he's out makes four hundred every day, every day, every day. Yep. Wow. Whole different level. Yep. And um, no, it's been it's been awesome. I love it. Love coaching at Springville High. Love being around kids. The game of the game of basketball has completely blessed my life. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to my mom. My mom pushed me. You know, we read this book called Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. It's about a book about a lady from China who marries a guy from America. I think she he, she's Harvard. He's Yale. They meet up, and they have two parenting st- different styles completely. She's tough, and he's, you know, pick up a stick and cheer for him. And she says no, and they end up having two different kids, two girls that are different personalities, and they both end up at Juilliard because she pushed them. And my wife read that book, and we have pushed our kids. I think today kids are s- so much more capable. Kobe Bryant said it in a documentary, throw the k- kitchen sink at him or at him. Teach them everything. Teach them pick and roll. Teach them one-on-one. Teach them everything that you've ever learned. Don't start with the basics. They can absorb it. And and we've tried to do the same thing as we just push our kids to do, to reach their potential. You have to do it in a classy way. You got to present it in a fun way. It has to be fun instead of rigorous. But man, they've they've done really well. And I got I got this group of eighth graders. We're sponsored by Stance Socks. They're called Stance Elite for anybody on Instagram that won't follow us. And they are the real deal. I got some kids that can play that hopefully will be playing at BYU one day. Mm. I went to the Stance Warehouse sale, yeah. so they are legit as well. Yep. <laughs> I have more socks than I could ever wear, which is beautiful for cheap. Yeah, they're, they're great. They're great. Well, sweet. Everyone needs to find that vehicle, don't they? That will change your life. Like what's the, what's the thing that is bigger than you that you can latch onto and that will push you and challenge you and disappoint you and make you successful? You got to find that for you. If it started with basketball and it's gone beyond that, right? Everyone's got to find whatever that is. It feels like. Yep. You need to 
each one of us uh, needs help progressing as individuals. And sometimes it happens through meaningful relationships. Sometimes it happens through sports. Sometimes it happens through our work or our jobs, missions. But I think absolutely we have to never stop learning, never quit, keep working hard, keep progressing as individuals. And uh, I think that's that's the main reason we're down here. And then we got to help each other. It's amazing how uh, we're all just so different. I mean, I got five kids and they are different. They're so different, different personalities, different ways to handle things. And, and then we all bless each other. And so one of the greatest things about life is being on a team. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a t- I'm on a team Amen. in the gospel. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I get to serve in a state presidency. We dream, just like my wife and I go on long car rides and say, man, look at that big house. What if we lived there one day? Or what if we lived in this community? What if we did have a ton of money? What, what kind of house would we build? Would you have a basketball court in it? Oh, nah, you know, I'd have a hair studio. You know, <laughs> that's another early conversation. And our state presidency, we dream. What could the stake be like? You know, the kids love coming. What's the experience like? Uh, at, at work, we dream. You know, what? what's our office building going to be like? Are we going to have a gym? Are we going to have a huge cafe? Uh, what's life going to be like in heaven with our kids? You know, are we going to be able to, like, just close your eyes and go to Laguna Beach anytime we want, even though we want to live in Utah? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it's just fun to have hope and to dream and to help others do the same. That's beautiful. I love that. Well, thanks for taking a, a few minutes and sharing your life story here. It's been fun. You're the man. We, we love you. We love Spencer. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Okay, that'll do it for us. Listen to previous episodes on the BYU Radio app or where podcasts are found. For Travis Hansen, Elder 8 Mile, and producer Trent Rhyme Schusel, I'm Jerem Jordan. You've just listened to Deep Blue on BYU Radio.